Refuge Church Podcast, where we long to see the lost saved, the saved transformed, and the transformed sent. For more information on how you can be a part of Refuge Church, join us on Sunday mornings in Jacksonville at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. Or visit our website at refugejackschurch.com. In this week's podcast, we are continuing our discipleship sermon series, Formation. Thank you for listening. Hey, good morning, church. Uh, Before we jump into the sermon, I wanted to take a couple of minutes, and um, I think we would uh, be wrong to not talk about uh, what happened this week, Um, uh, referring to Roe v. Wade and the overturn. We would be wrong today to not acknowledge the overturning of that. So while you and I may not all agree, and certainly in this room we don't all agree politically, I will state as your pastor uh, and I believe in life from the womb all the way to the tomb. It's not just the unborn life that matters. And while we celebrate that today, for sure, but the life that is born into all situations also matters just as equally. That the Bible clearly states that the religion uh, in James that is pure and undefiled is to look after the orphan and the widow. That all people, from a child in the womb to the one breathing their last breath, matters to God. That all lives are created in the image of God, bearing the image of its creator on their person. Even our very Savior came to earth as a baby born of a woman. And while I certainly personally celebrate the overturning of Roe v. Wade, man, I celebrate that. Please hear me. Today, to only celebrate that, and this week, to only celebrate that, would be the height of hypocrisy. Our celebration must be met with action. We must not only think of the unborn, but also to the children that are born. And you may not be aware of this, but they're the ones who so often get lost in this. We cheer on men life, and we should, please hear me, but we also need to cheer on those who have been born as well. Children born as orphans, born into foster care, born into horrible situations, even born as a result of egregious sins like incest, abuse, and far worse. We must care for children born in tragically horrifying, horrifying, impoverished situations where their health mentally and physically is in jeopardy today just as much as that of an unborn child whose parent might consider abortion. Today in our world, you may not be aware of this, there are over 150 million orphans all around the globe. That's a hard number to fathom. So to bring it a little closer to home, in the U.S. today there are over 400,000 children in foster care. Every Christian, hear me, every Christian has a role to play in loving and striving and caring for and sharing the gospel with these most vulnerable children. So Christian in church, while I personally celebrated the overturning this week, I would also tell you that overturning and that celebration must be met with a renewed sense of conviction and action. To do nothing but, can we just be real, post on Facebook, woohoo, and do nothing is, is, is nothing. But man, we need to continue to advocate, to foster, to adopt, to support those who do. We've begun to do that as a church. There's a lot more to do to love on families who welcome vulnerable children in their homes, as you have. Listen, to, there, there are foster families in this church who have bio kids who would love to be loved on a little bit and be reminded, thank you for serving. 
Man, we have and will have opportunities to serve children like this, to step up like we did at Christmas. There was something incredibly beautiful about looking at a kid and saying, here's a new bike. I don't know if you're aware of this, but most children in foster situations get given a beat-up, trashy bike with one wheel, it seems like sometimes. But being able to look at them and go, here's a brand new bike, man, you were loved that much is a huge deal and something we should be about, and you did really well at Christmas. In fact, what you did at Christmas, I still think on how did we get that many gifts to that many people, where I still think there might be a gift or two left upstairs. Man, continue to fill the foster closet. Even yesterday, I got a text from one of our Seek Refuge leaders that said, hey, we need some gas cards and diapers. So, man, let's celebrate the overturning, but let's, meet our, let's let our celebration be met with action. Um, man, even in November, we will spend time talking about adoption, orphan care, and fostering. And we will also hopefully roll out some more ways you can serve these families and children. Please do so. So prepare for action. In the meantime, I and our elders can point you towards families you can serve, and also uh, Tanya, who's over here, and Christine, who's in the back, lead our Seek Refuge Foster and Adoptive Care Ministry. They can also point you towards those. So please, if you celebrate that overturning, oh, man, let that celebration be met with action. And if you're struggling and you feel disenfranchised or left out, man, I, I just want to pray in a few minutes that the Lord would unite our hearts and um, that we wouldn't see this as a time to, man, win culturally, but a time to see what the Lord is up to. Church, there is still much to do in caring for the orphan in their distress. And I would say this, a court ruling this week is not an end, but a beginning. So what I want to do before I open, man, the word and, and, and preach a sermon is I want to just take a moment to pray. I want to pray for moms. I want to pray for babies. I want to pray for foster children, orphans. I want to pray for people who might also feel disenfranchised by this ruling. Uh, so would you, man, just, just spend a couple minutes in prayer with me this morning? Hey, Lord, we love you. And uh, we do not have all the answers. Uh, we are not you. We are not all wisdom and all discerning as you are. Lord, so we just take a few minutes to pray for those things. God, would you give us your wisdom? God, would you give us your discernment as it comes to action? Lord, merely to celebrate and, and not to take steps of action would be incredibly hypocritical. Lord, we pray for moms who even today are considering um, and what they should do with the baby inside them, Lord. Would you bring your Holy Spirit alongside them, Lord? Would you meet them where they are, Lord? Would you bring salvation near if that's needed? God, we pray for babies that are being born even now that, that may not have the greatest of futures, Lord. Would you allow churches to step up, Christians to step up and to step into those spaces? Lord, we pray for, uh, there's so many prayers we could pray for foster children and foster families, but we pray for endurance for foster families because the journey is long and, man, exhausting for so many. God, and for those children who, who wrestle in a system and, and become even broken as a result, Lord, we pray for healing and restoration. God, we pray for orphans, Lord, a number like 150 million sounds insurmountable. Um, Lord, so I pray you'd show us our role and help us to be obedient in that. Lord, I pray for unity amongst the people that call you God. I know that there's a ton of opinions. and Lord, so I pray for unity around what life is, what life should be, and how we should come alongside the most vulnerable of these. God, we pray for teen moms in our area, Lord, even that you might give us opportunity there to come alongside, um, to speak up for those who have no voice. God, to bring justice where there is injustice. God, would you give us eyes to see? And Lord, I pray you'd give us a spirit of kindness. Um, 
the winners and losers here, Lord, if we want to use that terminology, are the children who now will be given life. Lord, you draw us to you. God, we need you. Uh, we love you. Amen. Um, thank you. Uh, if you have a Bible, if you'll turn to Psalm 127. Um, if you do not have a Bible, there's a, a one in the pew in front of you, a black one in the hardback. Uh, it's page 484. Uh, page 484 is where we'll be. Just five verses this morning. Uh, you're welcome. I think we did 12 last week, so um, this might be a little briefer, um, but it might not be. We'll see kind of what happens here. Um, think before you say things. Uh, when I was growing up, that was the phrase I heard most often from my parents. Josh, think before you say things. Josh, think before you say things. It got so bad, I can remember being in middle school, and my middle school teacher saying it, and I said, did you speak to my mom? And uh, she said, no, you just don't think before you say anything. And so um, if you've been around me, I tend to process out loud. I tend to say a lot of what I'm thinking, which isn't always the best. And, and I've gotten in trouble a lot by, by saying those things. And so my mom tried to impart this wisdom. Josh, think before you say things, because when you don't heed that instruction, then trouble tends to follow. And when you think about growing up, were there instructions that your parents gave you and that were helpful? And were there instructions that your parents gave you that maybe weren't helpful? Um, I know like, uh, you know, don't uh, like close with your mouth shut at the table was a big one. Brush your teeth was important in our home. Hopefully it is in yours. It would show if it wasn't, I think, to some degree. Um, though a big one in ours was like, don't put your elbows on the table, which was really strange because people at our table would not have a shirt on, but for some reason our elbows had to not be on the table uh, was a thing that would happen a lot. And I can remember men receiving instruction uh, as a child growing up in home, and, and some of those instructions I would follow, most I would not. Can you think on some instruction your parents gave you, or if you're a parent today, instructions you give your children. One of the things I've learned as a, as a parent, Beth and I have been married 19 years, we have a 17-year-old, is I'm really good at giving the big vision instruction without any details. So I'm, this is what I do. Hey, boys, go clean your room as if they know how to do that. If they knew how to do that, it would be clean. Clearly they don't. So when I say go clean their room, I think they go up and just stare at a wall for 30 minutes and come back and say, I did it, right? When what Beth has taught me is instruction is not go clean your room. Instruction is walking in and helping them to understand why and how and what to do and the steps to take. Listen, I'm sharing all that to say when we look at Psalm 127, this is, first of all, I, I just mean, for you that are men or families, this is going to be really relevant, but Psalm 127 is a psalm written by David to his son Solomon. When you read the headline of, this, of the psalm, it actually says a song of ascent of Solomon. And we tend to think that it was written by Solomon, but in fact it was written for Solomon by his father David. And he's giving him instructions on how to live. There's going to be just a couple of key major points in this, but he's, he's really going to say, Hey Solomon, I want to impart to you some wisdom, son. And maybe you had this conversation with your dad at some point, the father to the son, I'm going to impart some instruction to you that it may go well for you. That's what's happening here. And really what David is going to talk about to his son is life in the home, how you form your life and, and how God forms life in the home. How God forms our home, and our homes are where formation and as we've been talking about for a while, pruning and planting seems to happen more and authentically more than any area of our life. Our homes and the vision for our homes are essential for the Christian life. Um, so one of the things I've, the instructions I've been giving to my sons lately is to 
fail to plan, you know, the rest right is to plan to fail. So I've been trying to impart that to him. And so in the very same vein, to fail to have a vision of discipleship and formation of your home is to plan to fail and raise disciples in your home. And what does this look like? We have these rules that Beth has come up with in our home. I'm trying to remember them. There's only three. Uh, Have fun, stick together, no hurts. And these are men, we always want to operate out of these three things in hopes, man, we can push our kids back to Christ. But, But this is part of our discipleship plan at home is having some rules that point back to good things. Psalm 127 teaches about the centering of your home on dependence on God. And so the root idea of all of Psalm 127 is just these three words, dependence on God. What David wanted to impart more than anything to his son is in all areas of your life, you've got to learn, son, how to depend on God. And instruction is such a part of that. When you follow these instructions, you depend on that more. I actually wrote in my Bible, and I'd love for you to take some notes in your Bible if you have it, but I wrote in my Bible above the numbers 127, dependence on God. We've been saying pruning and planting a lot. In pruning, church, We depend on God, and in planting, we depend on God. The key to building a life, having security in this life, and raising a family that honors God is dependence on God. You may not be aware of this, but a godly home cannot occur apart from God's blessing on that home. Significant work cannot occur apart from God's blessing on that home. And security, whether it be emotional, physical, financial, or some other form, cannot occur apart from God's blessing. And at home, man, we see that children present is because of God's blessing. And hear me say, God plants and prunes in our homes and our families. Godly people look for the work of God in their own lives introspectively and allow God's space to work. This is part of planting and pruning. God is working in my life. I want to give him space to do so. But let's add to that. How about this? Godly spouses will look for the word of work of God in their spouse's lives and allow him space to work. Maybe your spouse isn't grumpy. Maybe God's doing some pruning and it's been hard. Are you allowing God's space to work? Maybe godly parents will look for the work of God in their children's lives and allow God the space for him, for, for him to work. Listen, we all want God to plant our spouses and children and those, and those around us. Uh, parents, God does the work of pruning in our children as well. It is painful, and every good parent is going to want to fix things, right? However, fixing cannot be in conflict with God's pruning. And this is the challenge we're going to walk in. It's the challenge that David's talking about. Uh, as we've been talking about pruning and planting, I read a book, and I shared it with a few of you called The God of the Garden by Andrew Peterson. I think I read it back in January. And it was just this incredibly impactful book on how God plants and prunes in our life. And how he, he prunes and he plants, but in the end he's seeking to bring goodness, righteousness, and joy into our life as a result, whether he's planting or pruning. And then we all desire and wake up wanting to be planted, and none of us wake up desire to be pruned. So this week on Friday, I got up and Ezra got up and I said, hey, let's go to Home Depot and buy a tree and plant it. Um, now, there'd been a little more of a plan of that, and what I mean by that is I told Beth I was going to do this, and so uh, she had given me the green light, and so we got up, we went to Home Depot, and we bought a uh, flowering pear tree, and we dug a hole in the background, background, in the backyard, we planted it, <coughs> and I'm excited to see, man, the Lord do this, because I'm excited to prune this thing and to water this thing and to see the Lord bring fruit here. To do something, this is part of what we're walking in and learning about. And, and the best part of all that, and he's not in here so I can share it now, is Ezra's like, Dad, why are we planting a tree? There's trees all over the place. 
And I was like, man, I just feel like there's something the Lord's asked me to do because, and I got to talk to him about pruning and about planting. And so Psalm 127, you can, you can see it coming. It's this, it's this story of, hey, hey, son, I want to get your attention around these things. And the first one is this, verse 1. <coughs> Excuse me. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Um, you can say, unless the Lord builds the home. You can say, unless the Lord builds the family. You can actually say, and really what David's getting at is, unless the Lord builds your life, <clears throat> those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city and the watchmen watch in vain, they stay awake in vain. The question that's being asked really in verse 1 is who's building the life here? And what is the life being built for? Because he's going to say, unless the Lord builds the life, it is built in vain. It is absolutely possible for you to work really hard and to gain a lot and build a life for yourself absent from God. But verse 1 is asking, why are you building the life you're building? Or why have you built the life you've built? Now think about your home. <clears throat> your job, your children, your values, your neighborhood, your lifestyle. What is the goal? Man, the psalmist here, David, is writing to Solomon, the wisest man who's ever lived. If you don't know much about Solomon, I'll give you a little bit. His father, David, was the greatest king and warrior and one of the wealthiest men who has ever lived. Solomon literally had it all and all passed down to him, set up for success. He had his father's looks. He had his father's money, he had his father's influence, he had his father's kingdom, he had his father's fame. And God had even given Solomon a special gift of wisdom, making him the wisest man possibly who has ever lived. Yet if you begin to examine Solomon's life, you begin to see some inconsistencies with who Solomon was and what he knew and even what his dad told him and how he lived. Solomon got the privilege of building the temple yet and finishing it, yet he ended up building a house for himself more lavish and larger and took longer. And for his own home. And what does it say about what mattered to him? His marriage, pragmatically speaking, they were a disastrous denial of God. If you're not aware, he had hundreds of wives and hundreds of concubines. And in the end, in concubines, in the end, they led him astray. And slowly over time, due to lust, worldly wealth, influence, greed, desire for power, longing for security in places other than God, Solomon strayed from the Lord resulting in his kingdom being divided and his children suffering. Man, I read this this week. Solomon died smothered in wealth, sex, and power, a man whose heart had turned from God. And this reverberated in his marriage, in his children, and his children's children. And so David is going to look at his son and say, what are you building your life for? What's the point? What's the goal? I don't know if you're aware of this, but what you build your life for around matters and will be noticed by your spouse and your children and those closest to you. Where you look for security in this world and in your life will be noticed by those in your home. And if, if you aim to work hard and do more, it'll be noticed. And if you aim to trust the Lord, it'll be noticed. And who we attempt to serve or minister to will be noticed by our families. And can I just tell you, if you're unaware, your first ministry, the first people who you should serve is your family. David is telling his son and the reader to evaluate their heart when it comes to their family and ask the question, whose glory is the family for? Whose plan is behind it, the Lord's or ours? 
We play the fool if we try to build a home or a family apart from the Lord. That's the whole point of it starting off with unless the Lord. I want you to hear what he's saying. Unless the Lord part is such a big part of this. Unless the Lord builds a house, we labor in vain. So we thought physically labor. He's giving an analogy here. Unless the Lord builds a family, we labor in vain. Unless the Lord adds to our church... We share the gospel in vain. Unless the Lord blesses our worship, we sing in vain. Unless the Spirit moves during the sermon, we preach in vain. Unless the Lord sends missionaries, the scent will go in vain. Unless the Lord saves and, hear me, looks over our family and children, all our efforts are in vain. Again, we always come back to unless the Lord. And here's the reminder, and this is what you can write down. Unless the Lord is the reminder of our dependence on God, that unless the Lord does it, it doesn't happen. And we, and we cannot depend on a God we don't know. We've got to depend on a God we communicate with, we talk with, we, we hear from. David is saying, trade your confidence in self for dependence on the Father. And you may be really successful, you may not be, but are you depending on God to build your home for your security and to build your family? And better to have little and trust the Father than to have much and trust in yourself. This is Proverbs 3. We love to put this on things at important times in our life. Trust the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength, and all your ways acknowledge him. And what's the end say? And he will direct your path. So again, we're depending on him even in our trust in him. I mean, think about last week, John 15, 5, the words of Jesus. Jesus says, you can do nothing without me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he who bears much fruit. What does he say? For apart from me, you can do nothing. In the end, our dependency on God is what is ultimate. This is what he's saying to his son. He's saying, hey, son, the most important thing for you to hear from me is you've got to depend on me or on God in all matters in all of life. That it starts there. And then he continues, verse 2, It is in vain you rise up early and go to late rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. He's talking about the security we long for on earth, the security that, that life is going to be good for me, that life is going to go well for me, that no one's going to be sick. There's, man, a stomach virus has raged through our home and all of our kids for the last week, and it's like, when's it going to stop? And I'm so quick to like just want to find ways around it. I mean, think about the areas of life you look for security. Think about how many times a day you check your, you pull up your app of your bank and you check your amount just to make sure it's what you thought it was an hour ago kind of a thing. I mean, where we long for security, and what he's saying is it is in vain when you long for security. Security in the wrong things. Your security is going to be found solely in dependence on the Father. Where is your security in this life found? Where do you look for security outside of God? The caution here is overworking. The caution here is working that leads to anxiety. The caution here is working so hard in your own strength rather than looking to the Lord to provide your, your needs and hear me and your wants. We sing a song a second ago and said, Satisfy us with you. That's your want. My need is provide for me. My want is satisfy me. Until we allow God to fill our hearts, we will struggle to trust him to meet our needs. Not only that, it causes major problems. This is what he's saying, that if we long for security and look to provide our own and build our own family through our own security, we're going to land in a place that's full of anxiety, that brings a lack of sleep has a lack of pleasure and joy in your life. Now, Martin Luther said this to his church over and over again. He said, Christian, remind yourselves of these three truths when you go to bed every night. 
You write these down. Number one, I am not God. I am not God. Do you realize it's not up to you to bring the sun up in the morning? You might get up before the sun, but it's not up to you to bring it up. Yet, it has never ceased to come up, has it? Number two, I need God. In Colossians 1, he provides the very breath in our lungs so that we can breathe, so our lungs can expand and move in and out. Number three, I am loved by God. And so what is he saying? He's saying, man, first of all, build your life man, around dependency on God. He's saying, number two, we find security in depending on that God that we know. Number three, or verse three, excuse me, he says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Um, man, I, I think it says 10 years ago or so, and I might get in trouble, who knows, but uh, we lived in Georgia at the time. And we're getting ready to move here. And I remember uh, trying to do these family devotions. You guys remember these things? Um, and so I remember sitting and I read the Bible to my boys and I prayed with them and, and Hannah and, and Beth. And, and then I had to go out that night and go speak at a college gathering that I was leading. And so um, I get everybody tucked in bed after the family devotion time. And I go to the college thing and then I come home and I get a text as I'm walking in the door. And, she's, and the text just said, the house smells like bleach. Everything's okay now. Just go to bed. If you ever get a text like that, you just know everything's not okay, right? And so I walked in going, what in the world? And so I walked in, and she goes, you'll never guess. And I said, I, okay. Um, apparently, um, two of my children, who will not be named, but they're not female, um, decided to reach in a diaper of one of them and play with the thing that was in there as if it was Play-Doh, right? And I remember, the thing that I remember without just walking in the house and smelling bleach and then hearing what they did and going, we just did family devotion, like, you know better, right? Verse 3, children are a heritage from the Lord, a fruit of the womb, a reward. I don't know about you, man, between 5 and 6 p.m. at my house, it's like crazy hour. I don't know why, but everybody loses their junk. Maybe they're cranky, they're hungry, they're tired, they're not getting what they want, everybody wants individual attention. I, I don't know what it is. Between 5 and 6, if you're at my home between 5 and 6 and you leave, two things will happen. A, I won't realize till like later, and then B, I'll go... Man, I hope they come back and we're still friends later. Just from five to six, it's just a madhouse. And if you read me that verse, you know, between five and six p.m., my tendency is not going to be like, yes, my tendency is going to be like, Lord, I need to be there. I know it's true. I need you to help me and remind me of that. So when you read this, please don't hear this as your kid should be perfect. And when they're not perfect, something's wrong. Your kid is imperfect, but there's still a reward. I mean, how... And what he's going to ask is, how is God forming and shaping your parenting and your children? God graciously gives us children that they should be viewed as a blessing to us. Children come from the Lord. Men, write that down. Children come from the Lord. They are God expressing his favor on his people. We are to treasure them and thank God for them. Hear me, our culture has a very low view of children. But this psalm reminds us that God has a very high view of children. And if a child places his faith in Christ, which we've had several, they're not future members of this church or the future of the church. They are the church. We try really hard not to have childcare, but to have children's small groups, even for the youngest of age, so they can hear the gospel early in life. And we're saying a blessing, a heritage, a reward. There are times we can't see that, if we can be really honest. There are times when one kid's puking and one kid's crying and you're tired and want to go to bed that it's hard to see that. That moment is to be reminded, Lord, I need to be renewed right now and be reminded of this. 
not knowing your children is also an issue, man. Just being too busy, back to verse 2, having too much going on, being too committed in too many different lanes will keep you from knowing them and keep you from seeing that they're a reward. Children are God's visible reminder of God's love towards us, and if you have kids, ready, God's mercy towards us. Because on one hand, there are days I want to wipe them off the face of the earth, and there are days they smile at me and I just can't get enough of it. And that's, Listen, if you don't see that's how the Lord looks at us, I mean, it's the same thing. It's the mercy of God pointed at us. Like, and, and hear me, like, I love my kids, but, but there are days, right? Man, and, and sometimes I go, man, God, is there not days you're just like, you feel like that and worse towards me? Because I don't follow you. I don't submit always. I choose sin over you. Yet God's mercy towards me in my children is the reminder of his love towards me. He's never given up. He's never run out of patience. He's never not endured for my sake. He's never let my hand go. This is a God who loves us. Verse 4 and 5 say, Therefore, children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior, the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who's, who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. And so the last couple of verses here are talking about child rearing. And so David, the dad, is saying to his son, here's how we are to raise our children. He says, like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Earlier I said, man, this, this passage has been very formative to me. And, and I've, I've prayed these verses over my children now for a while. We can do all the discipline, all the direction, all the planning, all the sharing, and all the family devotions that we want. But what is the goal? What is the direction of our parenting? And how should we purpose our parenting? He gives you the answer in verse 4, the second word, arrows. Our direction in parenting is to raise arrows. What is an arrow? An arrow is a weapon that's purpose is to be sent or launched at an enemy. Narrow's purpose. Like, I, maybe you've done this. I have yet to speak to someone who has made an arrow, a beautiful arrow, and then set it in a closet and said, that was a great arrow. Let's go put it in the closet and leave it there. Or if we could just kind of get in our faces for a minute, who has gone, let me take this arrow, set it in front of the TV for the next 12 hours and ignore it. And we are to raise arrows. Arrows aren't meant to stay in the quiver, but aimed and released at a target, launched. The Bible calls children arrows. And arrows are meant to be launched out, not kept to admire. The directive is pretty clear. As a parent, it is my goal to launch my children out, to launch them with the knowledge and hopefully understanding of the gospel, to launch them towards God's word. Do you hear these? The language here is important. To launch them towards doing good things and not evil. To launch them towards doing good for others and not evil evil, to launch them ideally, hopefully, prayerfully with the gospel. Hear me. It's not you do it with the gospel, but you surround them as often as you can with the gospel in hopes that they'll pick it up, the Holy Spirit will do a work, and when they are launched, they do go with the gospel. Like, we can't do the work of getting them to fall in love with the gospel, but then we can put the gospel all around them. But it is my calling as a parent to prepare my children to be launched and then to launch them for the glory, the fame, and the worship of God. And here's the thing, if, if I'm going to launch them, man, for the worship of God, then I need to create in them a desire to worship as well. And my time as a parent is about preparing my children to be launched. Man, every now and then we'll get in the car and we'll be riding somewhere and, and one of my children will say, hey, can we play that one worship song we played in church? Can I just tell you, this might be one of the most critical moments of your life as a parent. In that moment, turn off your podcast, turn off sports radio, turn off Tupac. Like, in that moment, you say yes, you turn it all the way up. Because it's in those little moments that the Lord's like dropping little seeds. And we've got to be so in tune to that. 
And it, listen, it's probably going to be the worship song that you're like, eh. Or that like, that girl's voice is kind of annoying. Like, like you're just, that's, it's probably going to play out that way. But in that moment, it's like, I'm going to crank that up. We're just going to do it, man. Right? It's my calling as a parent to prepare my children to be launched out. And this includes, hear me, ready? Look, this includes pruning and planting. Do you realize that if your kid is in Christ and you pray for their salvation as you should, that the Lord's going to prune them and plant them? They're going to go through hard stuff and you don't get to just fix it because the Lord might be up to something. And I'm not talking only about pruning and planting in their life, but in yours, in your pruning. Look at me. In your pruning, do they see you depending on God? When God is pruning you, do they see you depending on God or going, ah, and losing your junk? And it's okay to lose your junk, to be clear, as long as you return to depending on God. In your planting, do they see you giving glory to God? When something good happens, is it look at me or is it look at God? There's an opportunity there always. J.D. Greer says this, uh, Psalm 127 says that children are like arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior. Arrows are given to the warrior to launch into battle, not as ornaments for a lifestyle. And here's the key. When you take what God intended to be a weapon and you turn it into a piece of furniture for your house, not only do you thwart the plan of God in their life, you discourage them from the faith altogether. And your, your kid is wired for mission, wired to be an arrow intrinsically. The Bible describes children as arrows, and arrows are designed to be launched. When our direction or goal in parenting is preparing to launch, some things begin to shift. Number one, I realize I'm parenting not for my glory, not for my fame, not so we can go look at you a great parent, but for the Lord's. The second thing that happens is the results, and this is some of the greatest, most freeing, liberating things out there, the results are taken out of your hand. Because only God can make them hit the target. You and I have no power to do so. So free yourself from this weight of, I've got to get them there. And instead realize, you're a sinner, they're a sinner. How can I put Jesus around them? It's about the aim. It's about the trajectory. It's about positioning them. It's about pruning. And it's also about planting. But hear me, man. Only God can make that arrow hit the target. And the third thing you begin to realize is you are fully dependent on God with your children's lives. Look at me. I, I pray every day several things. I've done it for I mean, our, our kids' entire lives. 17 years for Hannah and as of yesterday, three years for Zoe. I pray every day that God would save my kids. I pray that God would give, him, give my kids, my children, a desire to know God. I pray that, my, my, that God would make my children pure. I pray they'd have kind and godly friends and kind and godly spouses one day. Those are the five things I've prayed consistently for all my kids. But here's what I know. That prayer, I mean, I believe it and have prayed it in faith my entire life that I've had kids, but I am fully dependent on God doing any of that work. Only God can do that work. Only God can save them. Only God can give them a desire for him. Only God can give them a desire to seek purity. Only God can give them kind and godly friends and spouses one day. I can't do that. And can I tell you, that's actually a good place to land because we can't. The ultimate purpose in parenting then is, to, is not to hang on but to let go. It's one of the hardest things we'll ever do as a parent. And so to raise arrows, we cannot make kids the center of our homes. Rather, to raise arrows, we make Jesus the center of our home. To raise arrows, we must make Jesus the center of our parenting. The goal is not to have good kids. Can I just encourage you to work that out of your vernacular with your kids? Don't tell them to go be a good kid at church. 
please, this is the pastor speaking, don't wire that idea of being good in their head because they're not good. And the idea shouldn't be good. The idea should be holy. The idea should be, man, seek righteousness, to seek God. So, man, instead of saying, hey, be a good boy today, hey, go learn about God today. Hey, go learn about how horrible of a sinner you are. No, don't do that, right? So, number three, raise arrows. To raise arrows, the goal of our parenting must be the worship of Jesus. And to raise arrows, the goal of our parenting must be that they would worship Christ. And so raising arrows takes a few things. But I think most importantly, like above all, it takes your kids seeing you abide in Christ, John 15 last week. It takes your children seeing you abide in Christ. Take, that's what it takes in the end. So let me conclude one more time. And Dave is talking to his son. The ultimate purpose in, in parenting, son, is to hang, not to hang on, but to let go. Because I've given you arrows. So if you conclude Psalm 127, you see three things. Verse 1 is about letting the Lord build your life. And verse 2 is about finding security in the Lord. And verses 3, 4, and 5 about how we are to raise our family. This goes back to the formation conversation we've been having. And I pray that as you continue and begin to pray about what does a vision meant for your family look like at home around these things, that Psalm 127 could be a guide for that. Uh, would you pray with me? God, we love you and we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for the truth that um, this, this junk can be really hard sometimes. But you are good and you meet us in the middle of the hard stuff. Lord, I pray you'd um, free us up from the weight of feeling this desire to, to, to have perfect homes and help us to realize the goal should be just to place the gospel in our homes as often as possible. God, I pray you'd help us to see of the need to have a dependency on you and not on ourselves. To trade our confidence for ourselves for dependency on you. And God, even now as we sing to you, help us not to check out. Um, Lord, but to to respond to what we have heard today, God, through your word. God, we need you and we love you. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Refuge Church Podcast. For more sermons or to learn how you can give to Refuge, check out our website at refugejackschurch.com. For those who have heard the gospel and believe the gospel, go out living the gospel. You are sent.